This is Efficiency On Demand. On Demand. High performance. Human optimization. Human optimization. People think hectic. Craziness. No time. No fun. Just work, work, work. work, work. work. Perform. Perform. Harder. Harder. Push. Push. Machines. High pressure. No time. It's time to slow down to speed up. You owe more to yourself. This is Efficiency On Demand with Monique. Monique is a high-performance and human optimization specialist. During the show, Monique and her guest will talk about all things time management, impactful leadership, mindset mastery, and energy efficiency. It's time to take control of your time and live life limitless. This is Efficiency On Demand, and this is your host, Monique. Welcome back to Efficiency On Demand, everyone. I'm here with a good friend of mine and the CEO of a pretty interesting company, and we're going to ask him later why he actually chose to, well, set this company up and not any other one. But I think it's pretty interesting the way that we met because in Thailand here in Chiang Mai, where I am currently at and freezing my bum off and um, where my friend currently is in the UK, we both freeze. But in Chiang Mai, basically, we have these weekly meetings for digital nomads. And if you don't know digital nomads, just go Google it. You, you'll definitely find enough about it. And... Um, I think it was about three years ago that we met on one of these meetings. And if I remember correctly, it was actually his friend holding the meeting and it was about website about <laughs> website reviews. <laughs> That's so that just was, how it goes. Yeah, that was actually Bunty's. We actually met at the one because I, I, I remember what it was, was that I came in and sat down and you came in really early and we were and we were chatting for like for a while, but I was actually speaking that day. That the first oh. day that we met was when I was actually presenting. That was the first time that I presented at the Nomad Coffee Club. And I was presenting on um, on some of like the funnels that we had built for Zenmade, which we'll be talking about, you know, and I second. see. Yeah. Well, guys, now you know. Um <laughs> And <laughs> and this is how it works. And apparently the chairman still mean makes me being early to events like that all the time. So, <laughs> but it was really interesting all along. We kept connected and it's really great to, after three years, still be here sitting, although in two different countries that are pretty fucking cold, um, and now being able to talk about our growth. So let me welcome Amar Ghosh. Very good pronunciation. I know the spelling is hard. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I practiced before a little bit. So welcome to the show, Amar. Thank you so much for having time and for being here. And yeah, just tell everyone first what you're actually doing and why. Okay. So I am a self, I self-identify as a digital nomad, I guess, as you were just saying, if you, if people listening, if you don't, uh, don't know what that is, go and go and Google it. It's pretty much just people that make money remotely and travel the world while essentially making money um, online. So that's how, you know, Monique and I ended up meeting in, um, in Chiang Mai a couple of years ago. And so what I actually do since being a digital nomad is not a job. I love it when people go, Oh, what do you do? And they're like, I'm a digital nomad bad. You're like, okay, so you don't do <laughs> anything. Great. Um, so, yeah, what I actually do is I'm the, uh, the CEO and co-founder of a very niche software called Zenmade. And so that is, uh, it's a bootstrapped company. Me and a friend of mine started it almost seven years ago at this point. And yeah, we essentially started that business with the goal of being able to run it from anywhere in the world. I think Initially, we were just hoping to make a couple thousand dollars a month on it and just sort of travel around Thailand and do all of that. And now fast forward almost seven years and we're gonna do we're gonna do over a million dollars in revenue in 2020. And we're we'll also be breaking the one million like annual like mark and everything. And so yeah, I don't know. I feel like I 
went to sleep one night and woke up with like a real company and like a real team and like all this, all this stuff. But despite our growth and everything, you know, I'm still living the same lifestyle that we don't have an office. Everyone is a hundred percent remote. And I think that that pretty much in- introduces me. I guess, yeah. <laughs> digital nomad. See, I don't identify as digital nomad. That is so funny. All right, so let's let's go back a little bit in time. So, tell us a little bit about like sitting down with your friend. Let's start a company. What should we do? Oh, we should do actually, you know, a software for companies who want to hire mates and. Yes cleaning uh, service personnel. And because no one out there knows how to do that, let's just do it. Is that what happened? So, uh, so yeah, th- that, that's a, a great, a great question. Yeah. So I guess I, I sort of skipped over what the company actually does. Just said there's a niche software. So we essentially mm-hmm. provide scheduling and marketing automation services for uh, residential home cleaners or domestic cleaners. So typically, a company that already has anywhere from let's say three to as high as twenty or thirty cleaners, we're essentially the scheduling program that makes sure everyone knows where they have to be, reminds customers people are coming in and all of that stuff. Mm. So where the idea came from was I had run my own maid service in back in, I think, 2012. I ran my own maid service for just over a year. And that was after reading a random random blog post about how to start your own maid service uh, and a funny sort of weird thing. The guy who wrote that post is now like one of my direct competitors, but he wasn't offering a software at the time. So he, he wrote this thing. I came across it with one of my friends and we started a maid service together. And so about a year later, I had moved out of the area for my day job, that that was a side project. And we ended up shutting that down, or I ended up actually pretty much giving my side of the business over to my friend for him to continue uh, running it. And he shut it down very quickly thereafter because I was kind of the operations manager and the one dealing with all of the people problems. And he was kind of the introvert and, you know, that didn't work. And so another friend approached me when I was living in the Bay Area. So I was back in Palo Alto where I grew up. So lots of people around there are starting software companies. What was unique about us was that we wanted to bootstrap it and didn't want to take on um, any investment. And so at some point, this friend of mine, uh, you know, had turned to me and pretty much said, you know, hey, I think that we should start like considering keeping an eye out for like a software idea. I have the ability to build a software and he's like, I'm confident that you can go out and sell or market it or whatever else we have to do, you know, to like to make this work. Huge oversimplification, both in how I just, you know, regurgitated it back to you, but also in terms of how me and him were talking at the time is we're just like, oh yeah, like, you know, we'll just like throw up a product and tomorrow we'll do one marketing campaign. We'll be millionaires. And it didn't work out like that. It took a lot longer. So. <laughs> Seven yeah. years later, here we are. Yeah. And so essentially we went through a program called <clears throat> The Foundation, which I highly recommend. Um, if anyone wants to go like look that up, and it's, it's pretty much just um, on how to build your own software company, uh, particularly when you don't know how to code, when you're not a developer. And so we went through that program and came out the other side with an actual software program for maid services. And it's been a very slow, but very consistent ramp up since like since that point. So yeah, the beginning was very, very slow. I think a lot of people would have given up at a lot of points in our first four or five years in business. And now it's finally beginning to look it's beginning to look easy from the outside. It doesn't yeah. feel that way on the inside, but it certainly is beginning to look easy with like all of our numbers and, and all of that. So yeah. That's awesome. So I remember when we met, you were kind of like at a breaking point in the business with the team, with the software itself, the redesign and everything. And I know there was a lot of things that didn't go the way you wanted. That's that's an understatement. <laughs> Shit hit the fan. Yeah, yeah. So talk me through that a little bit. Like what was the plan? What went wrong and how did you react to it? Oh, great question. <laughs> I've been I've been meaning to uh to talk about this for for some time. I'm actually I'm actually glad that you uh, that you brought that up. Okay, so in in late 2017 
Yeah. In, in late 2017, we definitely had the most challenging time in our business. So essentially what happened was around that time, we were approaching the $20,000 a month mark in like in, in monthly um, recurring um, recurring revenue. And that's a truly recurring revenue. We'd been working with a product that my initial co-founder had built almost seven years ago. So it had been, it had been for four and a half years at this point that we had been like using that. And it was very, very clear that we were going to have to really rebuild the product from scratch, essentially, or really just like drastically, drastically change things if we were going to make it to the next level. That essentially with the first version of ZenMade, if you want to consider that the first version of ZenMade, I don't think that that product could have taken us long term over maybe 25 or 30K a month. If it did, it would simply be because there was like that number of customers out there that just didn't know that there were alternatives that were yeah. like better better than us, right? <laughs> but but with that product, it's just there was a very clear ceiling of just at some point this is just not going to make it. And so essentially, what we did was we made the decision. We invested probably about fifty thousand dollars, I would say, over close to a year to really like rebuild the product and to redesign everything. And, and yeah, to, to essentially to get, to get all of that together. And so right around the time that you and I met was very recently after, uh, after we had taken, taken that new redesign live. And so essentially the development team told me that if we take this redesign live, we're going to have a couple of metaphorical fires to put out. You know, we're going to like take little bug blankets and pat out these little fires. And they're like, there will be problems. People will complain, but it's not going to be critical. It's not going to be like a big deal or whatever. And yeah, so metaphorical little fires. Instead, what I got was the raging inferno from hell that we took it live Monday at midnight US time. And we essentially critically took down our software until late Thursday. And our software is like the single, like the single place that our customers need to go to know what they need to do in the business, right? So this was a total shit show. I don't know if I can swear on your podcast, yeah, by the way. Totally. Uh, okay. <laughs> so this, this, is a, this is a total shit show. And like to put it in perspective, we lost we lost over the following, like it, it took time for people to move over to other softwares because they had to get, you know, their information out and all of that. But mm -hmm. out of, I think we were making 18,000 at the time. And out of that 18,000, we lost about $6,000 in recurring revenue over the following maybe two and a half months, right? And at that point, we had only had one month in company history that we had ever gone back in monthly recurring revenue. So that was very, very scary. Yeah. And so with that, that was just obviously a very critical time. It was very, very stressful. I was public enemy number one in like our little communities. And at that point, I had put in a ton of effort to build up a bunch of online communities that all started blowing up because like we had led the way with this massive Facebook group. And so then I'm just getting attacked from all sides. We were maybe 45 days from pretty much having to lay off the entire team outside of me, the CTO, and Chris King, who you've, who you've met, who's our, our COO now, um, who's been with us for, for a couple of years. And so, yeah, that was essentially what happened in a nutshell. To make matters worse, when we did this, I was in Las Vegas at the time when we took this live for the annual industry conference. So I was like in person with like a bunch of my customers while this entire thing is like is going on. And so what happened was, was on, we took it live Monday at midnight and I had an alarm to wake up, I think at 5.30 in the morning, like a couple of hours later to, you know, deal with support. You know, we were expecting some issues and like blah, blah, blah. And what happened was on that Monday night, I ended up getting dragged out to a strip club by a bunch of like 50 year old women that are part of like part of like the industry. So it was like three of my customers and like two of like our potential customers. And then they grabbed like another industry consultant, uh, this guy like Derek, who's like a 45 year old dad and was just like, why am I here? And so they dragged us out. And so essentially I got home at about 3.30 in the morning. 
I didn't even get to sleep until my alarm went off because of how badly the redesign launch went. And I spent that following Tuesday, me, Chris, and Courtney, the three of us spent, I think, 16 hours that day in the hotel room dealing with everything. And during those 16 hours, Courtney was the only one that left because she like drew the straw to go and like get us lunch while we were like dealing with this, right? So this is like terrible. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. So I've told that story before. I think it's really interesting that you asked about why it happened because I don't think that I've ever publicly unpacked what happened there. And Mm. so I'll try to keep it to keep it concise. But essentially what happened was our current CTO, Alex, he was the one who was writing all of the code and was and was doing everything for the actual redesign. And we had an idea that he was going to be coming in and was going to be taking over from Arun, my initial co-founder. Well, what happened was Arun at some point talked to me and was like, hey, I'm not really actually doing all that much anymore, that really every time Alex is coming to me with a product decision, I'm deferring it to you. Do you just want to take over managing Alex? And I was like, oh, yeah, sure. Well, the problem was, was that no one told Alex that. And so when I was talking to Alex and was like, you know, what's going to happen when we take this code live? Is it ready to go? He was saying, yes, there's going to be some like metaphorical like fires that we're going to have to pad out because, you know, there always is with that sort of redesign. But he was under the impression that Arun was still on the team and was reviewing all of his code. Right. Mm -hmm. And so Alex was confident in his code. But when he was saying that, he also thought that we had another like checks process of he was like, you know, even with the checks process, there's going to be this, this and this. And so then like it went live. And all of a sudden, it became very evident that a lot of things had not been like double checked. Like we did do testing in the staging environment, but it was, you know, it was very much that, you know, everyone's got a plan until they get punched in the face, right? Like that quote from Mike Tyson. And that was exactly what happened here. That like staging looked good. The instant we put everything and moved it over to the live databases and into production, just like everything went haywire. And so... Yeah, in a nutshell, it was just a massive drop in communication. It wasn't even really like poor code or anything like that. It was just that three different people thought thought three different things were happening as we were all communicating. And so what's funny is that it took us at least a year to figure that out. It wasn't until I was hanging out with Alex in person, I think in in Barcelona or maybe it was in, it was in Indonesia or something that like that, that he like finally realized he's like, wait, Arun didn't check all of that code. And like, that was when we were like, Oh, that was the problem. So yeah. (laughs) Right. Ooh. Okay. So there is a lot to unpack. So let's go back a little bit. So I think we met actually earlier than after the recent design, because we met a year before almost. So I actually got to see you lining up the whole redesign. We got to sit oh, together right. before. Yeah. So remember we had this whole day of like planning out all of the things, you know, and all of, yeah. That's but, right. At Voldemort Cafe. Yes. Yeah. Yes. That's changed by the way. It's like a Japanese restaurant now. Oh, what? Okay. Yeah. Well. It's, it's got, anyways, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So, so the thing is like, we had like this full on day, like I remember it was like Chris, you and um, Alex, we were sitting together, we were planning out the whole thing, even including the redesign um, launch and everything for Chris to manage like the whole project management timing kind of thing better, right? And so... I remember exactly because you and me were also talking about like performance a little bit, how you can use sleep better, more routine. And literally the week before uh, we spoke about like that you finally seem to getting back more in a, in a better sleep routine and you go to Vegas and you like, I was, I was online. I saw you and I'm like, wait, this is not the hour for Amar to be online. What the fuck is up? And you just like, <laughs> cannot speak. <laughs> yeah, like literally, like just like three words, whatever. I was like, uh huh, okay. So <laughs> the interesting part is that I had a very similar experience when I was 22 years old with Siemens Enterprise. So we had our software for them that would basically, 
I mean, they had the Siemens software first and they were supposed to migrate to Siemens Enterprise Networks. It's basically like an operating system for them on the laptop so they can work remote and they can have like their own VPN entrance and whatever, right? And their own emails and their, but all very secure because it's Siemens, right? And so they basically decided to have a own kind of operating system because Siemens and Siemens Enterprise Networks split. And so we were supposed to migrate 25,000 people within three months from one to the other. And they got me in basically because they started that whole migration. They figured out like literally shit hit the fan just like you. And they couldn't deal with all of the customer support. So they usually had like 2,000 a day that would call or email or set up a ticket themselves. And then suddenly it was 11 and a half or the peak was 13,000. And this is like almost half of the people worldwide. And we are like, well, that went great. So they literally got me in to, to redesign the processes, the systems and everything in the team, the IT second level support who's actually dealing with the stuff, right? So for me, it's really interesting to see how did you approach basically like you come out of the strip club at like 3.30 a.m. You're thinking, oh, you know, like let's sleep a little bit before I'm going to answer a few support questions. Yeah. And you literally hit with a freaking bat on the back of your head <laughs> um, knowing that this just shit just went down the way. So what did you, like, what was your reaction really? Like, did you, did you even have time to think that that came way later or what was your thing that you were going through? No, I, I think that's one of the things that makes, that makes me a little bit different or like, or, or, or unique is that in those sort of like times, I'm able to just sort of have a very sort of stoic philosophy, right? That to me, it was, it was a very simple situation as in like, either this was going to put us out of business or it wasn't. And like, if it was, then chances are it had already happened. And so I had this situation in front of me and I had to, to deal with it during this time. Like I had a couple like industry consultants that actually posted in some of the groups and were like, Hey, like, you know, everyone has had like a serious emergency, you know, the way that Amar is handling like a really bad situation right now is like, is really good, you know? And so I really just focused on, on like, you know, what is there that we can do? And so like the first thing that I identified was that most people, if they were struggling to get into their calendars, the ZenMade team could always get into their calendars, even if it took us two or three tries. And so mm -hmm. then I immediately let all of our customers know of, hey, like if you don't know what your schedule is for tomorrow, send the support team an email and we'll send you back a screenshot of your, of your schedule. And so I very much went into problem solving mode. And so I guess one thing that was actually sort of nice was that because I'm not a developer, so I wasn't the one who could actually fix the software. And a lot of people that would really stress out, to me, that actually made it a lot easier for me because I was able to just be like, the team is working on it, the software will be back up when it is back up. And like the only thing that I can do until that point is I can help you in a non-technical way. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, I just focused, focused on that. And then obviously we had, we had fucked this up bad enough that I didn't have time to really think about anything else for another, like probably four or six weeks before, like we were even able to really slow down, take a break and just sort of be like, what the hell just happened? So yeah, I, I, I very much went, went into, into like solution mode or into problem, like solving mm -hmm. mode. Yeah. At, at that point. Yeah. I'm trying to, I'm trying to think, I mean, you, you met, you met Fran recently. So I, I recently got, um, got, got married and, uh, Fran met me pretty much right after that, that when, when we met, we met at a smoothie shop in Thailand while I was in the middle of this entire fiasco. And like, if she tells you the story, she'll tell you how eerily calm I was, like, as I was describing this situation of like, mm -hmm. I'm sitting there with like a smile on my face, like having, you know, having like a nice conversation with like a cute girl in Thailand. And she's like, Oh, so what's going on with you? And I'm like, I don't know, my business is on fire. I'm like, probably 14 days from firing my entire team. But you know, life is good. Like we're in we're in Thailand, we just got to kick back and enjoy it. And she's just <laughs> sitting there going, what the hell is wrong with this guy? And so yeah, I, I don't know. I, and then I she married you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, so, I mean, I think that that this problem solving and stoic attitude is helping the ones that 
being able to like um, obtain that is really helping through so many things. For me, it's the same thing. For me, it's basically like a little switch that goes into, I call it the robot mode because for me, <laughs> I'm just functioning and I do yeah. everything at the highest standard that I can. And I'm, treating everyone really nicely because I know no one's actually like, it's not no one's fault. It's not anyone's fault or whatever. Usually there's a lot of mini circumstances that come together. So pointing yeah. fingers doesn't help. So I adapted this also like in this, basically Siemens taught me a lot there in the, in this time, but um, definitely I can see a lot of people who get mixed up with their emotions, who can't, yeah. you know, who can't just like let, one thing aside and be like, okay, what is actually the best thing to do right now for yeah. my customers, for the business, right? So do you, do you remember at what time in your life you got to the point of being like, uh, you know, like I got to leave this shit behind or I don't know, maybe you've been always like this and there was like a, it was just how you've been raised. What do you think? No, it's definitely something that I've developed over time of, of um, yeah, trying to be, I, I mean, I think it was probably Tim Ferriss that probably introduced me to like to stoicism mm -hmm. as an actual concept, but I'd been practicing that for like for, for some time of just, just focusing on what's within my control and all of that. And yeah, I think what you were just saying makes a really good point that I think one thing that, that I'm able to do I would say, I don't want to say like better than other entrepreneurs, but better than the general population for sure, is being able to differentiate between those two that I think sometimes in the past, the like stoicism would take me too far over where I would never slow down and sort of reflect. And now I think that like now, like most of the time, I almost have a mental model that I apply that when something goes wrong in Zen made, I immediately go do we need to focus on just solving the problem? And if it's just solving the problem, then like the entire concept of blame to me just goes completely out the window and I will get really pissy with my team if they start trying to like to blame various parties or whatever of like, look, like right now, the only thing that matters is that we, we take care of the customers and that we make this right. As soon as the customers are happy, and everything is is rolling like nicely, then we can take a step back. We can look back at the situation, figure out what went wrong. We can assign blame or like fire Chris or whoever it is, right? I hope Chris does. I hope Chris doesn't listen to this interview. Um, I'll but, send uh, it personally to him. <laughs> yeah, but but I, I do think that that's something that I've developed like over time. Where yeah, I would say when whenever something like you know, less than ideal happens both in life and in the business, like I immediately know essentially which, which like perspective I should be coming at it from. It's mm. like, is this like identifying the problem and figuring out how to like, you know, you know, how to make sure that never happens again by removing someone or is it like, you know, problem solving? So. Right. I, yeah, I very much am the same. And I think you made a, you made a good point about also helping the team to understand what's really important and where to focus yeah. on. Did the team actually stick through it with you or did someone fell out of it? No, we have, um, I, we have everyone. I mean, we, the team was pretty small at that point, but I believe that every, every single person that was on the team when we took that redesign live, I believe is still on the team. Mm. And our, our, our retention rate at ZenMade, like for, for employees is very, very high. That if someone of the people that we've hired that didn't work out, they usually don't work out in the first 90 days. And almost everyone that makes it to day 91 with us has pretty much been, been with us since, which I, I'm really proud of. You know, I, yeah. I think that in, in a lot of ways, that's more reflective of like the job that I'm doing or like, or like the leader that I've developed into more so than like our revenue or the customer churn rate or anything like that. That to me says, says that I'm doing a lot right, particularly because it's a lifestyle business, right? Like I, you know, I don't think that you have to like everyone in your company or that everyone has to like each other in your company to be successful. You know, Uber and lots of big corporations are like very, very good examples of that. Mm -hmm. But I think when you take into account the fact that we're doubling year over year and have for six years now, now and we have that sort of employee retention yeah I, I think that's probably what I'm like the most proud of as as an entrepreneur yeah and I think it's really important people often I think they underestimated a little bit what it means to build team culture what it means especially remote remote is 
I don't want to say so much harder because it kind of puts like this limiting belief in people's head that it's not possible. But I want to say it's so much different to yes. to having like this office where you go to every day and where people are be being there. And, you know, you just know, like you yeah. can see kind of the commitment, right? And yes. the loyalty. So walk me through a little bit, like when you started and over the past seven years, what did you do to kind of... Um, you know, support the team to build this team culture? And yeah, is there anything that you consciously did? Is there anything that just developed by itself and you realized that yeah. was the point to like keep you together? Yeah, so that's a great question. So I definitely have not been very intentional about this that I feel from, from what I can tell from talking to a lot of entrepreneurs, a lot of software entrepreneurs in my case that I, I spend a lot of time with a lot of other like SaaS entrepreneurs and, and marketers and stuff. But I feel like as an extrovert, I don't really feel like I ever really had to focus or worry about culture because I would tend to just get along with everyone and that developed sort of nicely into like a very like friendly sort of like sort of culture. But, you know, you do also have to balance that with being friendly or being friends with your employees. Because like, you know, I would consider myself to be good friends with most of the employees on the ZenMade team. I mean, what, six of them were at our wedding, I think. So, um, you know, we obviously have like have like a good relationship. And, you know, I expect that if they leave ZenMade or if, you know, we sell the company or whatever, that, um, you know, we would remain like remain like friends with them the only thing that i would say that i have put a lot of emphasis into and and this isn't something that i consciously thought about but it was something that i always filtered for that i feel like contributed a lot to our culture is the whole growth mindset and i think that that hiring everyone with a growth mindset where you know on one of the support calls recently someone was talking about how like they were they were going vegan for 30 days because they wanted to see how it would affect their energy for example and you had like i mean first of all it turned out that out of the six people on the call three of the other people on the call were already vegan but even the, the other ones that were there everyone was like oh that's awesome you know like let us know if that works for you and maybe like maybe we'll try it right and and stuff like that and so i i think that everyone being able to support each other in that sort of way on a personal level goes a long way and i think it also leads to everyone on our team really taking pride in the business and in their jobs and in getting better and like doing more for the um for like the company and then the other thing that we do there on the the growth side is that Like, for example, I had a call with one of our contractors yesterday, and she was saying that she had just bought a course from Copy Hackers, I think, that was, you know, like $1,000 or something like that. And she was talking about on this call as she had bought that course, and she was using it for like one of her other, for her other projects, but she was going to be trying to take that and to apply it to the ZenMade team. And so like after we got off the call, Chris actually sent her the money for that course and she never asked us for that she never like we never like said that we were going to do that or anything along those lines but it's because like i want my team thinking like that i want them all to be thinking about growing but i also want them looking at other businesses or other clients that they're working with and to be going oh that's a really good idea we should use that in zenmade and to like feel comfortable coming to me and telling me about those about those things I'm trying to think if there's anything else there We also kind of do the Google 20% thing that I really encourage the team to go off and to try their own things. And, you know, Courtney, who's on my team, has actually, you know, spun off a side business where she's helping a bunch of maid service owners, a bunch of our mutual clients. But that's something that she does completely separately of ZenMade. And that actually came out of something that, like, initially was something we were, like, messing around with. And then we decided we didn't want to manage it. And she ended up just taking it over completely on her own. And that's nice. been a huge growth opportunity actually for us, even though it's not technically ZenMade related. And yeah. so, yeah, that's probably the only thing I've done with culture. Like there's, there's good books out there and stuff, but for me, just, just being an extrovert, it's like, you know, it's like asking me how to talk to people. I'm like, right. I don't know, you just open your mouth, you know, like that's not really helpful to an introvert, you know? <laughs> you just sit in a smoothie shop and start talking. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> so I think it's really interesting because a lot of people, they they may not even think about team culture or how to support their team members. 
especially if they're not all full-time. And so you just said that some of your people have side businesses or they do have other clients. So what would you say is the, maybe the percentage or, or however you want to say it, like the amount of people that are with you full-time without being with other clients and others are more maybe entrepreneurs or? We have two people that are full-time along, along with me and the team is close to 20. So mm. it's, it's a lot of part-time people. Uh, I think that's a really great question because I hire a lot of part-time people and I have a very, very different way of going about building the company than most entrepreneurs that I've seen. So, okay. So I used to run my own maid service. And so for the first, you know, couple of years, that was a pretty good foot in the door. I call people, I tell them I run a software company that helps maid services. And oh, by the way, I ran a maid service just like yours for over a year, you know, so I know like what I'm like, what I'm talking about here, or whatever. Um, in hindsight, like 14 months is nothing. And I might as well have been like, yeah, just like a total like amateur, like at that point. But I did bring like unique sort of like skills to the table and stuff. And so, you know, with, with something like that, it's what, you know, what, what's the term dog fooding, right? Of that, like you've built the software and you're your own customer. So like that makes a lot of decisions and a lot of things easy within reason. I think that can really take people like the, the wrong direction. But what I did after that, that once I got off the phones, which probably took like four years or something, that once I actually got off the phones and was no longer talking to people and was beginning to feel a little bit a little bit displaced from the industry. I hadn't run my own maid service in, in over four years. You know, I'm not in the software as much like anymore these days, right? Um, I'm not talking to people on the phones as much and all of that. So what we did was we actually went out and hired maid service owners that I just put up like a job listing in my customer group and just decided to see if any one of our customers wanted part-time work. And so now at this point, our sales team is three is four people because we just added someone in Australia. So we have four people on our sales team and all four of them own their own maid services that use Zenmaid every single day. So like I didn't have to train them up to be salespeople, right? Actually, if anything, I had to train them a little bit on sales, but I didn't have to train them at all on the product and they can answer every single question better than I can without me like, you know, being in there anymore, which is amazing. Um, our support team is the exact same thing. Thing. When we needed to add people on the support team, we have one person, uh, Mitchie, who's been with us for four or five years now. Like I, I don't even know how long. So she just knows everything inside and out. But then after her, since then, we've hired, we've hired two maid service owners and one office manager, I think, one like former office manager. And then I think our most recent support person she was a virtual assistant for multiple maid services and knew our software inside and out and reached out to us for, for a position. So amazing. Yeah, we, we, have, we have like six or seven maid service owners on the team now. Yeah. So what do you think in like, what different makes it for you to be able to just go like, why don't I just hire my customers? I mean, not everyone goes out there and be like, Oh, I'm just, I should just hire my own customers, you know? I don't know why people don't do that. I had one of one of my friends on one of on one of my SaaS on one of my one of my like software masterminds earlier this week. He literally he literally said he was like, "Hey, like, you know, you're just you're in a really unique position because you have your actual customers on your team." He's like, "I wish I could do that." And I I unmuted myself and I'm like, "So why don't you? Like, why don't you just go out and like hire like an accountant that hates accounting and doesn't want to do it anymore?" You know, and like he was mind blown. I don't know. It, it seems simple. It seems simple to me. It does lend itself well, though. Like maid service yeah. owners, a lot of them would be happy to take a consistent two or four hours a day where they just know they're getting the consistent paycheck. And then they can learn from us to build their business on the side until they get to the point. Like my goal is, is to have all of those people quit because their maid services become so successful, right? right. Like if that happens, then like we've won, they've won, you know, they're going to be champions for us for life. Like, you know, to me, that's like the biggest, the biggest win here. If, you know, Courtney, Michelle, Natalie, if those guys made it to that point and couldn't work for us anymore, it'd be amazing. Right. Right. And that, I think that's amazing because a lot of people as leaders, they can't get over the point of like, well, I want them to work for me instead yes. of, I want to be the leader who creates new leaders. Right. Yes. 
And I think that that is so such a different like mindset. And yeah, it's really interesting. What what made you like? Is it just part of your growth mindset, or did you get there by seeing how different it works in corporate? Oh. Uh. I don't know. That that one, I, I don't think I can really take any credit for that one. I don't think that that was really a conscious decision. I think that's just something that's developed over time. It's also something to do with, it's also like what they say, where sometimes your biggest, your biggest disadvantages can turn into your biggest advantages. So really mm-hmm. what it was, I mean, it took us over three years as a software company, it took us over three years to get to $10,000 in revenue. So when we got to $10,000 in revenue, I think I was paying myself $1,000 a month, but Arun and I were working full time for two and a half years while building this business very, very like slowly on the side. And so at some point when I just needed to open up some of my time. I didn't have money to go out and to hire a full-time appointment setter or to hire a full-time salesperson. And so hiring Courtney, that Courtney was just, I think she'd, I think she just had her, just had a child, I think. Um, and she was just looking for some, for, for some work, you know, from home and was on Upwork. We found her. She's a huge extrovert. You know, she's, she's like really, really good friend now. And, you know, we were like talking to her, but she was only looking for a couple of hours a day and we were able to like to afford her. And so we brought her on, not because I thought that was like the best idea, but because like we didn't really have any other options financially to find someone that could actually come in and help. And then I told her, when she joined, you know, I essentially was like, okay, I've got to hire the most like junior or like the cheapest person that'll work for me, that'll get the job done. And then out of necessity, I have to train them up to where I want them to be. And so the first thing I told her was, hey, like the reason that people like jumping on calls with me is because they know I ran my own maid service and I go out of my way to help them with something that's not software related before we really start talking about the software. I always make sure they get value out of the call regardless of what I'm trying to like to sell them. Mm. And so I told Courtney, I was like, you know, here's a couple products on like marketing your maid service or how to hire or like whatever. I want you to go through these products, read them, pick up some stuff and try to start helping people with this stuff like at the beginning. And so something like six weeks later, she comes back to me and goes, Hey, check this out. And she sends me over a website and it's her website that she like started a maid service after learning all of this stuff. And so, you know, then like from, from there, you know, she knew like the software in the industry, like inside and, um, and, and out. But yeah, honestly, that was just out of necessity. And then when I saw how well that worked, the next time that we were looking to hire, it just made sense to me to, to go to our customers first. So for, for any non-technical position, I would rather have a customer doing it where they can help me out in various ways that, mm. you know, every customer that I've hired can on a moment's notice step into sales support. Most of them understand our internal processes. They can jump on and do a demo. And if I have a new feature or I have some random ADD idea, I can drop them a message in Slack and they can come back with a very quick, yes, I would do that. No, I wouldn't. Like, I don't know. I feel like it accelerates every department of the company because we have our customers filled, filled out like through the company or whatever. Yeah, absolutely loving it. And I think it's a, there is a lot, if people listen to it, they should be just going back and re-listen because there's so much to learn from that, especially in changing your perspective and like being the leader who creates leaders. There's just so, so much. But coming back to the digital nomad kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, now you're a CEO of this company after seven years. I think when you started out, that was a site project. So you had something else you were working on too? Oh, well, so no, I, I, it, was, it was a side project. I just, I was still working a full-time job. Okay. That I, so, I, I was doing, I was doing sales for, um, for a, a software company in San Francisco. And right. my co-founder was a PhD at Stanford University. And right. uh, about two and a half years after that, that we right. left. So tell me about how you managed your time throughout all of these seven years. I mean, it didn't get any less work so far. Yes. So the the easy answer to that is I don't manage my time and I need (laughs) you. I need your help, Monique. Um, (laughs) No. Um, So yeah, I mean, you you know, we've we've talked about this, that I am... Mm -hmm very ADD, 
that I'm the type to pull up your email five minutes, you know, before, before we're supposed to jump on here and then to get distracted by something else and be like two minutes late because I just completely forgot that, you know, I was actually early for once, but didn't click the link, you know, stuff like that. <laughs> um, yeah. What, what I've always focused on for me is, is I've always focused on consistent action that in the very beginning, I struggled a lot. Um, I've talked about this a little bit in some places, but I'll probably talk about it a, a more at some point. But in the first like 12 or 18 months, there were at least three instances where my initial co-founder either threatened to fire me or just said like, I'm not going to continue working on this project. You know, like if you're not going to like, I'm not going to pull your weight. And he was absolutely right. You know, that was something that I needed to shape up and I needed to, to, to get everything together. But yeah, I've essentially just always focused on consistent action, focusing on just little things that I can do on a daily basis to move everything like forward. And now it's a little bit more, more structured before it was a bit like haphazard, but my main thing in terms of management is environment control that mm-hmm. I really struggle based on my environment that like for, you know, just, just like a little thing is like, if I have a bottle of gin, like around, like around the house then there, there's no day that I'm not going to pour myself a gin and tonic, you know, towards like the end of like my work day. But if I don't have a gin and tonic there, I won't even think about drinking for like, you know, for weeks on end. Right. And so, you know, just little things like that. And so right now, for example, for a while, my time was being really drained away from support. And now I literally just have a site blocker that if I go to the support site, it doesn't let me in. And the support team can can easily let me know, and like I can I can unblock it and go in and do it. But it takes just enough clicks that it stops me from actually going in and do that. And so I'm actually very proud to say that I have not looked at our support system since I got married. That as a married man, Ooh. I have zero support for. <laughs> everything's going really well. You know, I, I trusted the team. I jump on the support like calls with them and everything. And, um, and yeah, so trying to think with, with that. Yeah. How, the, the other how thing about is, the traveling and the, and the work? So traveling and work, like I only work for maybe three to four hours of like really, really intense, like focused work a day. And so usually everywhere that I go, I'll figure out when the opportune time is going to be to do that or rather I'll more naturally fall into it, right? Mm. Uh, That tends to be from when I wake up until about 11 a.m., but it does vary based on, um, on location. And then... From there, it's usually just sort of filling in the rest of the day as needed. And so before, I would really have to schedule a lot around time zones and around travel because when I was in Thailand, if I slept in, then by the time I woke up, and for me, sleeping in is like 8 a.m. And if I woke up at 8 a.m., I would already have missed my window to call any Zenmade customers that maybe needed help. So for a long while there, that was a very big consideration. Mm-hmm. Now it's not because I don't have to be on those um, th- those calls anymore. But in terms of like in terms of travel, I think the biggest thing is to just try to. I essentially have like the same set of habits but how they sort of fall into place or fall into my schedule changes based on where I am. And so one of the first things that I'm trying to do when I land in any new location or in any new time zone is to figure out where all of those things go, right? Right. I'm trying to think how, how I really like approach that like more, more than that. Just like in terms of energy management, the other thing is that just pretty much across the board, I'll tend to be low energy in the afternoons that I'm usually pretty much functionally useless from maybe one in the afternoon until maybe like five. Um, or I can do really, really sort of like light stuff or things that I find easy, right? Like I could do podcast interviews all afternoon. I can do sales calls all afternoon, but you ask me to write a marketing campaign in the afternoon and I'll literally fall asleep like while, like while trying to do it. And so for that, you know, over time I've learned my energy management that now during that time, that's when I'll listen to books. That's when I'll go for a while, go for a walk with the wife. That's when, um, you know, we'll go and work out. Oftentimes I'll take like an hour nap or so in the afternoon noon. And that's one of the nice things about not working a traditional nine to five, that around five or six o'clock, I get back to it. And a lot of places, that's when my team is waking up. So then I jump on the slack and I'm, you know, managing all of like that stuff. But I look back 
at my time in San Francisco and I legitimately feel bad for my last company because of the number of hours that they paid me for that I might as well have been sleeping. At the same time, I don't really feel bad because like if they had cared to know, you know, like that they, they, it might it might have been better. Plus they right. took away my remote working day, which was like my favorite day of the week, so, you know. <laughs> I think it's super interesting, especially like when it comes to energy management, that many people try to ignore it until it doesn't work anymore. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it's I have pretty much the same chronobiology where in the afternoon you can just like sit with me, talk with me, whatever. But I don't know if I get any information really into <laughs> my head. <laughs> or if I can help you with anything, I'm just going to be there. And if I smile and wave and that's enough for you, it's great. But anything else, <laughs> literally, like there's no energy left uh, in the afternoon, which yeah. is funny though, but I don't do naps. That's interesting. Okay. I definitely do. Yeah. No, sleeping <laughs> is still a thing that is not working always. So mm. I'm working on that. So to round this whole thing up, so because we have a little bit of a time window here, I usually ask two questions to my guests, one that I usually weave into the interview, but we didn't get to it. So I'm going to ask it to you now. Um, What do you think efficiency means to you? What do I think efficiency means to me? Okay. So efficiency to me, efficiency to me is, is essentially finding your personal best path to achieve your goals. So I think that efficiency is different for different people that I think Mm -hmm. that for ZenMade, we could have gotten to a million dollars annually, right? Which is what, $83,000 a month. I think that there were more efficient ways of getting there if it was someone else like other than me at the helm. But I think that I've done it in the most efficient way for me personally, because I've had a work-life balance this entire time. And so I think that it's, it's not always just how do you get the job done by sacrificing everything that you possibly can. It's more going, this is what I'm willing to sacrifice. Now with that in mind, how do I, how do I get to this point as quickly as possible? Yeah. And I love that you mentioned that because I still out there trying to find the whole hustle and grind bullshit. (laughs) And, um, you know, I also feel like there are still people out there that, that try to convince entrepreneurs that they need to sacrifice something. And I don't, Mm. I don't support that. I know that there are times where you maybe have to delay something or you may be doing things that you really love to do less than normal or that you wish to. But also for me, that that is not really sacrifice. It's just literally balancing it out. Although I don't like balancing either. But it's like, it's literally weighing it out, right? Yeah. And so I don't believe that, first of all, you need to sacrifice something at all. If you don't want to, if you want to, fine, do it. But, and this whole notion of, you know, you need to sacrifice your life and then your health and your family. Mm. And I'm like, oh no, fuck that. Yeah. You got time for that I think that um, I think that I, I know that like Gary V gets gets a lot of flack for like the hustle and grind sort of thing, but I, I think that he's come around on it like a little bit because he put it in a really good way of that like it's not sacrificing, but you have to make choices. That it's the same way that if you want to get physically into shape, some people look at it as I have to sacrifice the foods that I love, but really getting into shape is about making better choices. And like a lot of like the, the like the most popular and like best fitness coaches out there will tell you like, hey, like you can totally eat everything that you want to eat, but like you may not be able to have it every single day. It may be a once a month thing and you have to make a conscious choice of this is when I'm going to have chocolate cake and I'm going to enjoy it and it fits into like the rest of the stuff and i think that's like a much better way of looking at it because i don't think that i've sacrificed i look back and i go no i made very specific choices and some of those choices worked out the way that i expected some of them didn't but like as long as i had the choice it wasn't a sacrifice i could have done it the other way and like i could have a lot more money in the bank right now if i just stayed at a regular nine to five job but i didn't want to and that's not a sacrifice of that money it's a simple choice that i made for my lifestyle freedom Exactly. Yeah, I totally agree with that. Okay, coming to the end, tell me if you, in hindsight now, would have to give your top three 
top three skills or characteristics or attitudes maybe to get you from where you started to now, basically sending it out to other entrepreneurs, which one would you say the top three are for you? So what do you mean? Like characteristics, skills? Um, Anything, like literally, like what the top three things that you shouldn't be missing anymore if you want to achieve, like let's say if you want to make a million dollar annually again. So what, what three things do you need as yourself that you yeah. think they shouldn't be missing? As yourself, okay. So I think that every single entrepreneur on the planet should study copywriting. I think that copywriting is something that it essentially teaches you how to communicate and how to communicate in a way that other people, you know, will understand and will resonate with, particularly at scale, that I think it's great to be able to have a sales call, but I do think that copywriting takes it completely like to the next level. And that's even if you have no intention of ever, of ever writing the copy for your business um, mm. yourself, like you have to be able to get into your customers' heads on a very, very deep level if you're going to succeed uh, long, like long term. The whole like growth mindset thing of, of just like, you know, if you're not constantly challenging yourself and looking to grow, that if you're getting into entrepreneurship because you think that it's going to be easy and that you're just going to get to do all of the things that you love and nothing else, then you probably need a bit of a wake-up call. Being an entrepreneur allows you to work on all of the things that you love, but at the cost of usually having to do quite a, quite a few things that you don't want to have to like have to do, that's until you get to a certain point, right? Like I'm almost to the point now where like my team pretty much takes everything off my plate that I don't want to work on. Like I get to be in, in sort of my zone of genius and just focus on like marketing, right? Which is yeah. what I love doing. It's what I think about every single day. And so that would definitely be one. And then trying to think what what like number number three would be i mean i, I guess it's kind of a, it, it would be like in, enjoy enjoy the journey or like surround yourself with people that you love that the number of people that i see that tell themselves that they're like building a business because like you know they just want to be happy or because they just want to you know live like the lifestyle of their dreams and yet like they put up with their customers just being dicks to them like all day or they're working with people on their team that they don't like to me it's like life's too short and particularly if you're an entrepreneur and you have the ability to choose who's on your team like make sure that you're building something with people that you like you know yeah, I, I don't know. I, I'm not sure how, how helpful that actually is. But like for, for me, that's definitely like I would be miserable right now if I had even two or three people on my team that I just didn't like interacting with or didn't like dealing with. Like yeah. no amount of money in the bank would like make up for that. That is easy to say now that we're making a decent amount of money though, right? Like when I had like 10K, I probably would have hired any asshole that could have taken me from 10K <laughs> because we just needed the money at that point, right? But it's dangerous to build a company that way. So that's, yeah. That's 100%. <laughs> That's correct. Amar, thank you so, so much for coming on and sharing all of your insights. Where can people find you and follow you along? Let's see. So the main place for anyone that is watching this is actually YouTube. That YouTube is where I have been. I've been posting a lot. You're actually, you're part of that, that we're trying to do a hundred videos in a hundred days. My wife is a video editor and has been helping me uh, with that. So I've been talking a lot about software marketing, lifestyle design, entrepreneurship, all of that. You guys can check out my Twitter, which is American Dreams with a, with a Z. Check the show notes or whatever. For, for this yes. stuff. You just search Amar Ghosh on, um, on YouTube. You can find me there. And let's see, website is theamericandream.com. And then <laughs> I'm not doing too many of these podcast episodes. I don't know how long I'll make like this offer, but if anyone is listening to this and wants to actually add me as a friend on Facebook or follow me, uh, you can just search Amar Ghosh or um, facebook.com slash God bless America. Um, <laughs> I, have, I have funny URLs. What can I, what can I say? Yeah. So, <laughs> those are Amar, A-M-A-R, um, you know, like America, but spelled better. Um, and <laughs> yeah, I think that's, I think that, I think that's, that's, that's it. You know, you guys can always drop me an email at amar at zenmade.com. If you have a specific question, I read and respond to every email until I can't or until I don't. Well, until you outsource it. 
<laughs> yeah, don't try outsourcing. Yeah, I have health in my inbox now, but I, I, I'm still the one reading and responding to every email. But um, yeah, I, I've got like the triage down that I can now like contact the team and just be like, hey, this email just came into my inbox, or here's six emails that just came in. Do like X, Y, Z, and they'll go and take care of it. So that, that's yeah. nice. I love it. Yeah. Big thing for me. (laughs) (laughs) Amar, thank you so much. I think we should repeat that maybe for my upcoming project. I'm not going to talk about it too much, but we should definitely repeat it. And we should definitely dig a little bit deeper into all of the nitty gritty things there. And um, yeah, thank you so much for having the time and for jumping on here, no matter how cold it is and (laughs) afternoon in the UK. So it's your low time. Yeah. So thank you for coming on. And um, I hope we'll be seeing each other around. Thanks again for having me. It's been awesome. (laughs) Thank you. You've been listening to Efficiency On Demand. On Demand. We hope you've learned about your ultimate potential, how to control your time, how to create some clarity in your crazy life, and how to live life limitless. Limitless. If you haven't already, make sure to subscribe to the podcast. And please follow on Instagram at Secret Weapon to Efficiency. We'll see you next time on Efficiency On Demand with Monique. Remember... Slow down to speed up.